Thanks for checking out the Best of Hoffman Show. All of this week's edition comes from my Sunday show on 106.7 The Fan, a four-hour show that we've narrowed down just for you here to the best of. A couple of interviews that we had, Adnan Verk from ESPN talking Major League Baseball and fighting, and he and I disagree, not not violently, but we disagree, uh, which is ironic because we disagree about violence. Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post, absolutely exceptional on LeBron James and race in America, and it's just, it's really smart because he's really smart, and the column he wrote was great, and the interview um, was really insightful as well, so appreciate Jerry's time and definitely putting that in the best of. And then uh, the topic of the morning was really came down to OTAs in the NFL. How important are they? Um, A.J. Francis was on Grant and Danny this week, Redskins defensive lineman. He was really good. I recommend going to grantanddanny.com slash audio and checking that interview out. I reacted to that interview and then talked about it more with my boy Lorenzo Alexander, and that's where we start in the Best of Podcast. Redskins defensive lineman A.J. Francis had no problem expressing his self this week on Grant and Danny. Really, really good interview by the boys. And um, uh, I think it's really interesting, and, and we're going to have this conversation to a point um, coming up a little bit later uh, with Lorenzo Alexander, uh, the, when Brett Lorenzo has been in the league for 13 years, obviously spent a, a number of that with the Redskins before going to the Cardinals, and now uh, has made his way to the Pro Bowl with the Buffalo Bills. Th- but I, Lorenzo and I had this conversation yesterday when uh, we were recording our, our podcast that we do together, um, and... Lorenzo said the same thing basically that AJ Francis said, which is that players don't look at a guy like Trent Williams or Jordan Reed or Odell Beckham or any of the other players who have skipped OTAs as missing out on something. And there's another point too to be made here of why a guy like AJ Francis maybe should be there and a guy like Trent Williams shouldn't. Trent Williams is not going to get better by being at OTAs. One, because as AJ Francis pointed out in the interview with Grand Danny, linemen are so limited anyway. The other thing that is worth pointing out is that if if your excuse for being there, now in the meeting room is one thing, and I think that's a really good and interesting point by uh, by Grant, but trying to watch what they do on the field is kind of irrelevant anyway. Because if Ari Kwanjo tries to do what Trent Williams will do or does, he will fail. He does not have the physical profile of Trent Williams. He's just not that good. If a young Giants receiver tries to emulate what Odell Beckham does, it will not work. It will not be as effective because physically, he does not have the physical skills and talent that Odell Beckham has. And so for guys at that level where the training is on some level redundant and also on some level not even worth, worth it in terms of any kind of return, they are better off working out on their own. The way Jor- or what Jordan Reed needs to sharpen his skills is very different than what any other tight end almost in the league needs to sharpen his skills. He's got to use different tools because where Jordan Reed is, is is where most tight ends can only dream of going. So to pretend like a program designed for 90 is in fact the best for everyone is not true, especially when really that program is designed for the average. And so if you're average, get there. Do something. If you're not, I'm certainly not going to take any exception to you not being there. And apparently, as A.J. Francis told Grand Danny, neither are, his, are, are, are any of those guys' teammates. But when you have juice, a la Jordan Reed, right. a la Trent Williams, you can do whatever you want whenever you want. It's that simple. As Lorenzo said, and I think he said this in the podcast, um, which I'll, I'll, I've tweeted out a link to this morning, the, the training podcast we do, but we'll touch on other stuff too. And Lorenzo's going to join us. And I'll have him 
kind of reiterate this again at 11 o'clock. All Lorenzo cares about, let's, let's use him as the example, and this is a guy who goes to OTAs, and much like A.J. Francis, that's just who he is. That, that's exactly who Lorenzo Alexander is and why he was able to make it. An undrafted free agent who has made his way to play at a Pro Bowl level. Right? He did that by going to the OTAs and getting better and taking every opportunity to advance. And he still sees it now that he's got a new coaching staff um, in Buffalo that he needs to be there. But when it comes to LaShawn McCoy, he doesn't care if Shady's at OTAs. He cares if Shady's showing up on Sundays in the fall. A.J. Francis doesn't care if Trent Williams is at OTAs. He cares that Trent Williams is on the field in the fall. Are you there when the pads are on and you have a chance to get better? Here's, again, A.J. Francis on Grant and Danny earlier this week. I'm telling you, there's not a player in the NFL that cares if another guy's not there during voluntary workouts. Because at the end of the day, they are voluntary. And the CBA does matter. And the reason that it's in there and the reason that it's it's structured and we're not allowed to have pads in the offseason is because in the past, there had been teams that did too much in the offseason. So there had to be things taken out. And therein lies another problem, and this is more of where I want to dive in with Lorenzo, who's very active in the NFLPA, coming up a little over an hour from right now. There is an argument to be made that this is their job. The problem with that argument is that they're not paid for this. Unless you have a workout bonus in your contract, which many guys do, but it's still minimal compared to the game checks. There is no incentive to being there right now if your spot is solidified. If you are a player who's, who can use OTAs to up your place on the depth chart and thus get more snaps during the regular season and thus maybe get yourself a payday in future contracts or extend your career in the league or save your career in the league. If you're a guy who's on the bubble... You need to impress the coaches at every chance you get. But if you're Trent Williams and you've signed the contract, if you're Jordan Reed and you've signed the contract, if you're Odell Beckham and you're waiting on the contract because you're still on your rookie deal, there's no no real reason for you to be there, including any financial incentive. Because NFL players are paid in 16 game checks. And there's missing OTAs isn't going to cause you to miss one of those game checks because you got cut. And until the NFL's pay structure changes, I don't think the attitude towards OTAs is going to change. And unless the players are open to that, like I don't think that's something the owners are going to die on a hill for. It's not going to be, it, it's nowhere close to one of the big things that's going to be collectively bargained. So unless the players make it a big deal and say, hey, like we're okay working year-round, as long as we're paid year-round and they split up the, the checks a little different, then maybe it's something we see. If, if that's not going to be the case, OTAs aren't changing, uh, no matter how much coaches may want them to. The Fan. Show Sunday mornings, 1067. The fan typically we'd have an hour to go, but with the Nats, as PJ just told you, out on the West Coast. We are going to one o'clock today, an hour from right now. Jerry Brewer of the Washington Post for this half hour, though. Happy to be joined uh, from up in Buffalo by my boy Lorenzo Alexander, Pro Bowl linebacker for the Buffalo Bills and co host of the Train with the Best podcast with Chris Gores and Will. Me, our newest episode is out now. It is on program design. If you are a fitness person and interested in that, you can find the link on my Twitter page. So, good morning, my friend. How are you? What's going on, man? And I really appreciate that music, man. The Loonies, you know, five on it. I got it. Yep. That P- there is no one better at musical radio intros than PJ Elliott, and I get I, I am often mystified on Sunday mornings by where he, some of the songs he, like that's pretty standard. Like he, that's just good stuff. Right. But like he'll he'll find 
just crazy song lyrics that are related to what we're talking about. And I'll just sit here and stare at him like, how, how did you know that song existed? Uh, it's, <laughs> it's insane. Uh, anyway, so the reason we ha- I want to talk to you this morning um, is to kind of expand on something we talked a little bit about on our podcast yesterday, which is the viability of OTAs and, right. and why they exist and, and how much you get out of them and whether it's a big deal that... Uh, big-time players show up. Um, obviously, you're in an interesting situation right now where you have a new coaching staff. So comparav- comparatively to when you don't have a new coaching staff, how does that change um, how important OTAs are for a team and for some of the veterans to be there? I mean, obviously, once you have a culture kind of set up, the scheme, um, the system is in place, uh, it's kind of routine. Um, and I think uh, the emphasis on it is not as much from a player perspective. I think coaches, no matter what time of year, off season, during season, they want their players there as much as possible. And I understand that because I coach my son's youth football team now, and I want all my players there. And I kind of get a little disturbed, even though they're six and seven when they don't show up. <laughs> so from that perspective, I understand it. But um, for veteran guys, guys that have been in the league for a long time, and I've been on several different teams now, uh, some guys come, some guys don't. Some guys come sporadically. Some guys are 100% show up and I think um, obviously each player is treated differently but fairly and I think that's what you have to understand once you're in that locker room and in that the NFL culture uh, most guys understand that so for you know when I was a rookie or a young guy and even now if I see guys who don't show up that I know I can count on on Sundays I'm not I'm not that upset, but if it's maybe a, a role player, somebody that's kind of on the bubble, I'm like, man, that dude is hurting his chances uh, because he's allowing some other guys to maybe shine and gain that trust from the coaches and maybe take his position. Um, and, and I think that's what you have to understand. So I know it's been a kind of a lot of uh, back and forth. You know, I was listening to to uh, Grant and Daddy earlier in the week, and I think they had AJ Francis on. Yeah. He was giving his his uh, opinion on it, and I, you know, I, I really agreed. You know. And I think I even mentioned this yesterday. You know, obviously Trent is not there. Jordan Reed, I guess, is not there. But at the same time, it's giving guys a chance to play or get more reps so you can count on them because we know Trent and Jordan are going to be there. They're going to ball out just because they're professionals and they're, they're working out now. I guess the only downfall with is if they get hurt, technically they're not covered. But, um, you know, people are saying, well, they need to be there for leadership. I mean, I don't. most guys don't need another man to motivate them. Uh, oh, well, they need to be there to, to coach them up. I guarantee you, and I've seen this, guys with that type of athletic ability, they do things differently and sometimes unsound that the rest of the NFL can't do. Um, so even from that perspective, it's really not helpful uh, because he can try to tell you how to do it his way, but you don't have the same ability as Trent. So it's just great for those guys to get those extra reps and actually build the depth. And it's actually a kind of a, a hidden benefit that I think people are not really uh, looking at as well because then you can kind of build the back end of your roster because now they have maybe, you know, 50 to 70 more reps that they wouldn't have received if those two guys may have been there. Lorenzo Alexander with us here on the Phantom, Greg Hoffman. Um, to kind of expand on that more, I, I will relay the concern that I got um, via Twitter when I was talking about this earlier. And we, mm-hmm. we actually replayed the A.J. Francis interview earlier. It was really, really good, um, as, you, as you noted, with Grant and Danny. If anybody missed it, either on Grant and Danny or, or earlier this morning, definitely go to thefandc.com slash audio, grantanddanny.com slash audio, and check that out from earlier in the week. But the fan pushback would be, oh, well, Trent's a captain, and so he needs to be there. What would be your response to that as a well, player? Well, captain is voted upon about the players. Right. So obviously right. um, there's something that he's doing, and he probably would do this once he gets to training camp that's earning the trust of the rest of the players. So if this really affects the locker room and guys really don't like it, they will not vote for him for captain this upcoming season. Um, but I would beg to differ once Trent gets there, does his thing, uh, based on what he's done in the past, the way he works when he gets to training camp, and the way he will produce on Sundays, what ultimately matters at the end of the day, even to the fans, because he can miss all offseason. He becomes a he what, a sixth Pro Bowl in, the world, in, uh, in a row, become an all-pro. You get to the playoffs, all that's forgotten. Um, he will be voted captain again. Um, and that's what it comes down to. Now, if guys feel like he's tricking it off, not working out, comes into camp out of shape, not ready to go, then they won't vote him uh, captain. So I don't I don't necessarily place on what he was voted last year um, carries over the, into this season. Each year you have to earn the right to be captain, and the guys will vote for him or, or not vote for him. And that's just how I see it. And, and every guy is different. Obviously, I'm a guy that has you know come up you know the hard route, and I'm at every OTA 
that I want to be at. Now, I don't necessarily need to be there anymore, but from a leadership standpoint, the coaches wanted me this year. But I've also grown into the fact I have a family now. Um, in the first couple of weeks of OTAs, for me, I'll, I'll miss sometimes just because I'm – we're not doing football stuff. We're just training and working out. And I like to stay with Chris Gores, who's also part of our uh, team on the Train the Best podcast, and get my work with him. So that may be some play as well, because obviously Trent lives in, in Texas, um, and he wants to be with his family more. I mean, there's a lot of things that kind of play into the offseason and whether or not you want to be there or not. And obviously people are always going to, well, you get paid all this money. And, you know, so this just disregard that, because I think if anybody can work from home and still get the same job done, they would do it. Oh yeah. Um, regardless of you know what they what they gonna say now, uh, uh, as far as guys missing OTAs. I want to talk to you more about the financial thing coming up, and at this point, I think we'll do that in the next segment. I'm just curious though, like when you told your coaches, for instance, like, hey, I want to be with my family. I got a guy that I work out with, and Chris, uh, that I'm comfortable with, and that has really helped me the past couple of years. I'm not gonna right. be there. What do the coaches tell you? Well, they were really receptive. I mean, um, especially last year, because um, I'm a veteran. Um, you know, I, you know, my reputation is you know being a hard worker, a grinder, always coming in in the training camp. So I built a great rapport and a respect from the coaches, and I'm communicating with them. So they were fine with it. Um, this year was a little bit different because I was, we had a new scheme. I was going to be doing some things differently, so they really wanted me to be there. I still missed a couple of weeks because I had some family things, but uh, being a veteran and just communicating and being up front, they were okay with me not being there. Um, and we have other leaders. I mean, if you know, if you're just relying on one guy to be there to, that's going to make or break your season, or guys are really I, I, only way I can work is if my leader is here, then your team is going to be doomed from the start anyway. So that's why coaches build great teams and normally have you know four or five great leaders on both sides of the ball. So when one guy falls short or can't show up for whatever reason in during the off season, you still have other guys you can use as examples and who can still lead the team. All right, I want to get into the financial end of this next, which has to do with pay structures, and this is going to get into a little bit of minutia, but it, it's, um, I think, important in terms of the understanding here uh, and the NFLPA's role in this as well, which you're obviously a very active part of. So we'll do that next. Lorenzo Alexander with me, Craig Hoffman, here on the Hoffman Show, Sunday mornings on The Fan. Oh, yeah. Lorenzo Alexander is with me for this half hour, joining us from his home up in Buffalo, where he's got some off-season workouts this week. OTAs are, in fact, the discussion point here. So, when you look at the NFLPA's role and the way players treat off-season workouts, and, and, of course, these are all all voluntary um, as of right now, and then you got some mandatory OTAs, and guys right. might might even like skip out on some of those. Um, but that's more like contract stuff that, yep. that guys will skip out, like if they if they're looking for a new deal, whatever. Um, but when you look at the way the NFL um, pay structure works, you guys get paid sixteen game checks throughout the year. You might have a workout bonus if you attend a certain amount, uh, which might be a hundred percent of the voluntary offseason stuff. But outside of that, there's no real financial incentive. Um, so it is truly an optional part of the job in that way. True. Is that something that you think that players would like to get paid for um, in terms of like changing the way the pay structures? Obviously, I don't think the owners are going to give you guys more money just to show up for workouts. Right. But is that something where players would say, hey, we're willing to show up if you guys are willing to, to pay us uh, in a different way? Or is that something that's not really a concern? Yeah, it's not something we really talked about. But of course, I mean, if you pay guys more especially the the younger guys they they there I, I, either way um, but the the amount that you make for a workout during the off season is not going to change a guy like you know you you're starting left tackle you're starting quarterback as far as showing up um, but it definitely would help the younger guys out and I think that's probably what I it really won't get changed at all um, but the off season more so has was really changed just so guys could go back to school uh, do certification programs do internships uh, do things that's going to better them off the field and I think that's probably way more important than any amount of money that we could get there which won't be significantly enough because the owners aren't making money during that time and you know like during the season when you're playing games uh, as far as you know sponsorship dollars and all that stuff that goes into that um, 
So I like the way it is now because when, in the old days, it was hard to go back to school and maybe finish your degree or get a certification program uh, done um, because also they had stuff on the weekends as well. So a lot of things have changed with the off-season program for the benefit of players uh, post-career, which I think is why how it's implemented now. I think the other thing, too, is that right now there's 90 guys on a roster as opposed to the game checks they're paying 53 or, you know, then you got practice squad guys making money or whatever. Um, so I, I think from a financial standpoint, I, and especially considering the players who would benefit the most are the ones who are never going to find them, their way into the top levels of these NFLPA meetings, they're not going to be the decision makers. So I, I don't think there's really ever going to probably be a push for that, would there? Um, not really. I mean, you're always trying to find different ways, but at the end of the day, I mean, is that something that uh, the owners are willing to give up, or are we willing to give up something to to get that? Because it's a negotiation, right? So right. anytime that you go to the table and you ask for something and inc- increase here, whether it's makes sense or not, you know, for both sides, it's always okay. Well, what are you going to give me for it? Um, and that's just how a, a collective uh, bargain agreement uh, works when you're sitting down and trying to negotiate some things. And um, and so I, for, for you know, with that in mind, I say no. Uh, yeah. I don't think guys are willing to give up, you know, padded practices or anything else just to get a little extra money um, in the offseason. No doubt. Lorenzo Alexander, Pro Bowl linebacker of the Buffalo Bills with me, Craig Hoffman, here on The Fan, also my co-host, along with Chris Gora as his trainer on the Train with the Best podcast. Uh, you can check out that on iTunes. Uh, we certainly appreciate everyone who has found that already. Um when you look at uh, specifically the Redskins, your former team and, and your former teammate in Trent Williams, it seems like a lot of people are conflating the idea that Trent is some kind of inferior leader because he's not showing up and then looping in the weed issue, that they're all somehow connected, that his suspension right. last year um, is is a referendum on him as a leader, and that combined with this is is some extra evidence, and, and I know that bothers you, and you wanted to talk about it. Yeah, that I mean, yeah, it does bother me. I mean, every time they said, you know, they oh, he's not here, and by the way, he is one suspension away from not being able to play like I mean, like it, they're tying it in, like one is uh, directly in correlation to the other because you know since he does have this issue, he should be there. But if he didn't have that issue, it's okay for him not to be there. And I think it's just two separate things that Trent has had to deal with. And I, I and I don't think they should loop that in every time they mention it. Oh, by the way, he is one suspension away, and I, 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 it just comes off to me. Um. Just very disrespectful. I, I, I don't know, and maybe because I'm a player, but they just bring that up like, oh, and let's remember this. Yeah, he's made some mistakes in, in his career. A lot of guys have. and um, I, But I think in that locker room, if you've been around him, he's doing everything possible. That weed issue could be is a totally different issue, and I don't think it should be brought up when you're talking about leadership within within the locker room. Well, look, I think you going, well, I, maybe I see it different because I'm a player is is – important because what we the people away from a team outside of a locker room thing like i think sometimes players can be a little overprotective but this is a case where like the people he's leading he's not leading the fans he's leading fellow players so i think your perspective is more important than mine here or anybody else's because if you're telling me that this isn't seen that way inside the locker room and that it really doesn't matter that the players aren't going oh my god trent left us for four games last year now he's not at otas like, if that's not a thing, then why do we care? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you have to care as a fan. I mean, you're trying to tie everything together, and you want to see things no, you how... you You cannot be dumb. You, <laughs> you cannot be dumb. That is an well, option. I think most people, they have an ideal way things should be ran. Um, obviously, sure. they've probably played, you know, Pop Warner Sports or maybe high school and some may maybe even college. And they have this picture-perfect world of how things should work. But, I mean, at this level, everybody's a grown man. And, you know, all that loyalty and all that stuff kind of goes out the window. Obviously, you're still a team. But it's, it's each man trying to fight for a position. And then you become a team in September. But before then, it's a whole bunch of wees, you know, in that wearing that logo with whatever organization you're with. And if a guy wants to mess up and mess his opportunity up, uh, for me, from the way I'm looking at it, Okay, well, I'm not going down that path. Let me find somebody else that I can can look towards. And I think oftentimes people want to associate whoever makes the most money on the team 
as your leader as well or the best player as your leader as well and that's not always true as, as well and I think guys have figured out the way who they want to model their game after who they're going to look towards um, and you have to be real with yourself if you don't have the same talent as certain guys you can't do the same thing it's just it's just it's just the way life works and in the way the NFL works um, but I, for me, I, I've seen Trent. I've seen him grow up. Yes, he's made some mistakes, but I think he's still a great leader when he's in there working out, doing his thing, and he'll show everybody that you know once the season come, comes around. Right. If missing OTAs is not uh, is not a sign of lack of leadership, it all of a sudden doesn't become one because he did make a mistake and right. and got suspended. Like, a- exactly. It's that, not, there's, there's not, there's not some not kind connected. of trigger that that all of a sudden. Oh, now the lack of leadership uh, value is activated. That's not. That's not a thing. That's not a thing that happens. Um, Lorenzo Alexander with me here on the Phantom. Craig Hoffman, though, of course, former Washington Redskin uh, and current Buffalo Bill, where he made the Pro Bowl last year. Now this year for you, let's let's just catch people up on where you're at real quick, because you know you got a lot of personal fans still in the area for yeah. what you did. Um, and then we'll talk. I want to talk about your camp too. That's coming up. Um, but you're you're in an interesting spot it is your your career has been a constant evolution and, and this year you're going to be doing some different things how's the transition going we talked about this a little bit on the pod and have talked about this on the pod uh continually but like how's the transition right. going for you is is you change roles from last year where you were primarily a pass rusher made the pro bowl doing so to someone who's going to be dropping into coverage and playing a, a four three linebacker spot a little bit more this yeah. year you know, and I think people are most confused, obviously, because I put up a lot of sacks last year um, out of nowhere. So they said, "Oh, I guess all he was doing was rushing the passer." I mean, but even in a in a in a three four right, system right. as an outside linebacker, you you're rushing the passer sometimes, and sometimes you are uh, in coverage, especially on first and second down. Then on third down, of course, you move down the end, and you are now a designated pass rusher trying to get to the quarterback. Um, this year, the, the biggest difference is is that I'll be playing a lot more off the ball um, versus years past. Um, and I'm just kind of tapping back into some of the things I learned when I was a Washington Redskin um, and playing behind London Fletcher. You know, I did that for a couple of years um, before I went to Arizona. So I'm just kind of tapping back into some of those things, some of the things I've learned from him over the years and just really trying to get my eyes right, my keys, um, because the, the perception of a play is totally different when you, you know, four or five yards stacked inside versus playing on the on the edge. Um, as a, as a linebacker, so all those things are starting to come back, and it's really, and that's why OTAs is beneficial for me. Is just because I'm I'm doing something that's slightly different, and I want to hone in on those skills, so that when I when it comes to you know live bullets, you know everything is is just kind of flowing, and I'm not thinking, I'm just playing fast. How much is having to chase LaShawn McCoy around change the experience for you? I'm so glad this dude is on my team, man. <laughs> I, 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 every time I look at him, man, I say I'm glad, man. I was tired of chasing you when I when we was in Philly. Uh, but he's ridiculous. I mean, he's like a—I uh, don't even know. He's like a little point guard out there. His bad—he—he he does like basketball. You know, y'all—you guys talk about Jordan Reed and his basketball moves right, where he right. runs routes. Shady is the same way, and it's just—it's so frustrating because the dude is quick. He has a does a great job of changing speeds and pace, and just can throw you all off. So. Uh, He's doing a great job of preparing me. Um, he's definitely broke me down a couple of times, but I'm, I'm glad it's in practice and not on national TV. So yeah. uh, there's nobody else really like that out there like him. So if I can stay with him for the most part, I'll be good throughout the season. So if we had to train you to, to guard a bunch of guys like him, to, to man up on guys like him, we just have to put you on Quaaludes and then have Chris and I run routes out of there on the field <laughs> because that's about the only way we can simulate the relative speed of what Shady McCoy is. Uh, you got a football camp back, uh, back down here in, in the North the Virginia area in the DC area coming up uh, yeah. this weekend. Let's let's fill people in on where they can get their kids involved in that. Well, I'm partnered with my my church, Grace Covenant. Um, Jared Green, who also played in the NFL and is the son of uh, Daryl Green, um, is help putting it on and is going to be over at Redskins Park uh, next Saturday, June 10th, from nine to one. Um, we're doing uh, what sixth through twelfth grade, so middle school and high school age kids. Um, and then there's going to be a ton of uh, uh, current Redskins out there as well. Um, I believe D. Hall, Will Compton, um, and a couple of other guys um, will be there, will be in attendance as well. Colt McCoy, myself, uh, Kedrick might even come out. Um, this is, it's a good time just to give back, uh, help kids see, um, 
you know, us up up close and personal, working drills, getting ready for, for football or whatever sport you play athletically. Um, but more importantly, um, sharing the gospel with people um, and also talking about character and um, how that really allows you to be successful in life and really, more importantly, leave a lasting impact for, you know, good change in the community, in your family lives, uh, in your social grouping that, you you know, you kind of find yourself walking in. So uh, if, you want, if you're interested in that, you can go to Grace cov.org to register um you also can walk up that day um, but it's definitely better if you can pre-register so we have make sure that we have enough for everybody but it's going to be a great event and have a, a lot of fun over at redskins park yeah and, and again that's gracecov.org and then actually after that uh we're all getting together uh me you and chris and when comp is actually going to come with us will compton's going to be our guest next week on our podcast so everyone can check that out afterwards um so appreciate the time this morning uh, i'll see you later this week and uh enjoy enjoy your insight as always man i uh, appreciate it that is lorenzo alexander former washington redskin current pro bowl linebacker for the buffalo bills if you want more from us our podcast is called the train with the best podcast it's a fitness and health podcast uh as many of you know i'm a trainer on the side and chris gores lorenzo's trainer is, is just one of the best in the industry period when it comes to training athletes and lorenzo um is, is as good of a client as you can ask for as a trainer. He's just as an athlete, a guy who gets it um, on an extremely high level. Um, and so we've we talked about a bunch of different fitness stuff on that that uh, over the past two months or so that we've been doing it. Uh, and Will Compton will be our guest next week. So you can check that out. Uh, just search iTunes for Train With The Best. Uh, appreciate Zoe's time. Actually, I forgot to ask him something. I forgot to ask him if I left my computer charger at his house. <laughs> Seriously. I forgot, I forgot to ask him that. I'll text him. It'll be fine. I think when we went over there to record, because he's got a studio in his house, um, I, I think I left my computer charger. And, and now my computer's dead. So that's, that's great. Nobody cares. The Extra Hour gives us a great opportunity to discuss something that is important. Uh, and we'll start that discussion with Jerry Brewer of the Washington Post, uh, who wrote a column entitled, Racist Vandals Didn't meet, Demean LeBron James. They gave him a platform for dialogue. We're going to dive into this column with Jerry now. Jerry, uh, I guess at this point, good afternoon, man. Thanks for taking some time uh, here on your Sunday. Uh, no problem, man. So LeBron James is someone who has shown his intelligence and in, in his worldliness in many different ways. And I think it's interesting, um, specifically timing-wise now, that uh, there's so much comparison between him and Michael Jordan as players. Um, how unique would you consider LeBron in the past, say, 20, 25, 30 years in terms of athletes for his preparedness to talk about these issues and his his... I don't want to say his intelligence because I don't. I don't. I almost think that comes off as demeaning. But I, I'll, I'll leave it at preparedness to do so um, when he has been in the spotlight uh, to talk about issues, whether it's something like this where where he's the victim of some sort of racism or as an observer of it in the world around him. Yeah, I, I would say, Craig, that over the past twenty years, he has to be the most significant American professional athlete in that area. Uh, the fact that, I mean, that there are only three or four LeBron Jameses on this planet. <laughs> right. And, um, and, and uh, the fact that he's willing to u- utilize his voice. You know, one thing that's interesting to me about LeBron is he's always been LeBron. I remember early in his career, um, you know, a lot of people were advising him, stop getting tattoos. You know, your marketability is going to go down. You're not going to get as many endorsements. You're not going to make as much money if you keep getting tattoos. And obviously, LeBron is like like many an NBA player, whether it be John Wall or, or, or quietly even uh, Kevin Durant. Um, you know, his, his entire, you know, he takes his shirt off. His entire body is tattooed. And then like Durant on down, um, you know, from basically from, the top of his shoulders all the way down to his legs. Um, that has not affected his marketability uh, one ounce. Um, and, and he is a, a charismatic um, and, and charming guy. And then now, as he's gotten into his 30s, um, he is someone who has been bold. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of the athletes who haven't said much, you know, I think Jordan in particular probably gets a bad rap. 
he came along at a time where it was just one of those times in American history where he didn't really have to, you know, it was a time in which, um, it was all about accumulating wealth. Everyone in America, um, was accumulating wealth, um, significantly. LeBron comes along at an interesting time in which, you know, a lot of our problems with, uh, racial issues, problems with, uh, just equality in general are coming back to the surface. And I think he's just responding to the times. Uh, and it's, uh, it's been a great thing to see. I, I want to make sure I don't ask this next, qu- next question in a way that is the, the classic Doug Williams, like, when did you become a black quarterback kind of question? But it seems like LeBron is, is obviously hyper aware of his own blackness in a way that has, and he is not afraid to bring that to the mainstream um, do you think that has been kind of unique with him and, and why do you think that has happened? And then I, I would also ask, obviously, is someone I, I think I'm I, I don't have perspective on this one because I'm white and two because of my age where I'm becoming more socially aware as I get older. And really in the last five, six years that I've graduated from college and then become an actual adult, I've become more aware of these things. But are, are these conversations that were happening in locker rooms among black players and, and, and black people in sports uh, for years, and now they are mainstream with the help of a guy like LeBron and then Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, what they did at the ESPYs, for instance? Um, or or is, is sure. this truly something new? No, it's not anything new. I mean, these are conversations, you know, we can take it from the locker room and just take it to uh, the black dinner table, you know, Sunday dinner um, with your family or, or with family and friends. Uh, there are times when we have those conversations. Uh, you know, one of the, the, the things that's very difficult about uh, being black in America, and, and people will call us paranoid all the time, but we know when we feel it, is you, you just feel that, as LeBron said, there are people who are smiling to your face, but there are these moments that are just, huh. You know, you, you, uh, it's the way you, you're looked at when you're like the only black person who comes into a restaurant. Um, it's, it's those moments in which you're, you're on an elevator with with a white woman and she clutches at her purse. It's when you're, uh, at a jewelry store and you're almost treated like you can't afford what's in the store. Um, you know, those are, those are very, um, subtle things that, that grate on your nerves. Um, and then I, I just, I don't know, I don't know too many, black people who haven't been called the N word, um, in a derogatory manner. And, and mind you, there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, have, have wanted to kind of de-emphasize the N word, um, because, uh, you know, a lot of black people use it, um, and, you know, and, and, um, you know, try, try to, it makes no sense to me, but, but they, they try to use it, um, to kind of dull, uh, dull the blade a bit. And, and I, I think that's wrong in general. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when talking about, you know, someone who wants to try to use that word to belittle you, I don't know too many people who haven't experienced that at some point in their life. And, um, the difficult thing is, is, is so many people, um, you know, want to, want to, want to use, want, want to say, you're being paranoid. It is not as prevalent as it used to be. So therefore it doesn't exist. And, um, you know, I'm not someone who utilizes my column and writes a ton about racial issues. I pick and choose my moments when I think I can have the most impact, but it is something that weighs on me, um, almost daily in my life. And you just want people to, to understand that. And you want people to be able to have conversations and it doesn't need to be a conversation of you're racist and you need to stop being racist, but it needs to be a daily uh, or regular, um, uh, kind of a, uh, coming together and understanding. It doesn't need to be something that is tucked away in the back of the closet. And it only comes to light when, uh, you, you know, you, you pull something out of the closet and it falls on top of you. Um, it needs to be something that is at the forefront because, it's very clear, you know, as, as we have encountered some very difficult issues, whether it be, um, uh, you know, police and, and, um, 
uh, you know, incidents in which uh, police have gone too far and there have been deaths uh, or things like that or, or church shootings, those kinds of things, those become really polarizing issues even if you have an understanding of each other. But when you don't have a good enough understanding, it becomes something that is, is basically just dynamite uh, that is that is simmering, waiting to be uh, set off. So I, I think we've got a long way to go. Um, and, and the longest way we have to go is just to acknowledge the fact that, hey, this is a relationship that needs to improve. And, uh, and until we get there, um, there are often going to be issues that, it's just like it's just light the fire, and you don't realize um, how quickly uh, things escalate and get heated. Jerry Brewer of the Washington Post with me, Craig Hoffman, here on The Fan. The column is racist vandals didn't demean LeBron James. They gave him platform for dialogue. I, Jerry, I've, I, used, I don't know how often you've had a chance to listen driving around. It, it really doesn't matter. Just I, It's more of a point of fact. I've used this show to talk about racial issues of all kinds because I do think they're important. And even though I am white, I'm not afraid to talk about them because I have been, I have talked to enough people of color to realize, and it shouldn't take that many. I don't know why it takes multiple people to believe, to believe you, so to speak, um, that this is something that impacts people every single day, and it impacts all of us. Race plays a part in our lives every single day. And do you think that someone like a LeBron James being willing to talk about it, it's people uh, in positions such as yourself who have uh, a place in your column to talk about it, can help eliminate some of the fear in discussing race amongst all people? I think it does help. I think um, it's also how we talk about it. Right. Um, you know, I mean, there are times when the tone needs to be combative, and then there are times when it needs to be more informational and and um, uh, just more perspective-driven than anything. And I, I also think it's, you know, it kind of works two ways. You know, I mean, um, it just can't be, it just can't be me screaming at white America about what I don't like about them and then recoiling anytime someone brings up something that they're wondering about um, or, or something that they have a problem with. You know, I mean, that, that's, you don't solve conversations by, by just having, um, or, you, or you don't improve relationships just by having one-sided difficult conversations. You know, you have to, you have to bring it all, just, you know, put it all um, on the table ultimately. And, um, I've got no problem, you know, with, with uh, a lot of my white friends, um, uh, you know, talking to them about things that um, are uncomfortable, maybe for me, or, or and, and listening and understanding that that uh, you know, there's a lot of smart people in this world. There's a lot of hateful people in this world, um, but you can learn a lot um, just by talking to people. And there's just a, there's just a million things that just in life in general, in which it's not a problem until it becomes a problem, you know, and, and I'm a big believer, whether it's dealing with sources or whether it's dealing with, uh, my wife or, or my children, um, you know, we need to talk about it all. And when something bothers you even a little, uh, let's squash it there instead of it, instead of letting it simmer and waiting for it to become a big thing, because we all know in life, you know, those, those are when the, the, the arguments, uh, are the worst when you get to that point in which you didn't even know that these things were bothering these people and they kept it suppressed for, you know, months, weeks, uh, even years in some cases. And, and then it all comes to the limelight. And then now all of a sudden it's not even about the argument that you're having is not about the issue that started it. It's about all of these other things. And I think, um, on a much grander scale, a lot of that is what the issue is uh, in America, particularly uh, there's, there's, there's extremists, obviously. There are people who are stuck back in the 1960s or even the 1890s in their mentality. Um, but then there are people who have evolved and who are advanced, but just still don't get it uh, because they don't know that there's something to get. And um, we have to operate on all levels. 
And I will say this too, and I wish I would have said this on the front end. Well, I've used this space and, and many other private conversations to talk about race because it's something that I, I acknowledge is something that needs to be talked about. The most valuable thing most of us can do as white people is listen. Um, and that's why I appreciate the column so much. Again, the column in the Washington Post by Jerry Brewer. Racist vandals didn't demean LeBron James. They gave him platform for dialogue. And Jerry, I want to ask you about one more thing, and it's it's a specific line in the column. And I'm curious uh, about how you, you kind of came to the idea of, of it and, and putting it in the column and why you probably thought it was important to put in the column. Uh, the quote from the column is this. So the point isn't to use James' incident to scold the entire nation. You know what's in your heart. You know what isn't. And you go on to say, but if James isn't immune to this kind of hatred, it should be a poignant reminder not to minimize or underestimate the ongoing struggle with racism. And I think it's interesting because I think a lot of the discussions on race wind up being an entire group pitted against an entire group. And there is no nuance. And we do the awful thing that we do societally where one person's or one person's opinion all of a sudden represents their entire uh, people, which it happens far more with minorities than it does with white people. But I also think you you see some people point and push back against that line, saying, "Oh, this is a way to give people an excuse out." People who think that they're not racist. So I'm curious why you thought it was important to include that line and some of the thinking that that went into to that point. I think it, it, it was to, to be um, more universal in thought and to not um, create a straw man out of the entire nation and to understand that there are uh, different shades of folks. And, um, you know, in, in what was that column? Maybe a thousand words, maybe mm-hmm. 1,100 words. You're not going to get at everything you want to get at. And so... Uh, a lot of that and that line included was just to kind of leave something in there to, to get you to, to think a little broader. Like I'm, I'm dealing with, and in this case, you're dealing with LeBron James being called the N word by someone who is likely part of this extreme faction. I didn't want to want to, uh, make it just be, uh, the whole nation is awful and LeBron, what a shame it is. LeBron has to deal with this. Um, I, I wanted I wanted to uh, kind of hint that we're talking about one shade of gray here, but I'm acknowledging that there are are many different shades, and um, and I'm a big believer in that. I, I think a, a lot of times, you know, whether it be uh, fans don't come to games uh, on time or something, and all of a sudden it becomes you Wizards fans or you Nationals fans or whatever uh, aren't good fans. Well. What about the 10,000 people who did show up on time and who rooted their, you know, you know what's off? Um, uh, so I think too often um, we generalize, and a lot of that's because you have a finite amount of time and you're trying to make the strongest opinion that you can make. But uh, I think it's, it's easier to, or better uh, to relate to a larger audience if you expand it just a little bit. And I think those two or three sentences just sort of alluded to the fact that, um, that, that I'd be an understanding here and I am not painting everyone just one color with just one swipe of the brush. Jerry, the column's awesome, man. Uh, appreciate you writing. Appreciate your thoughts, uh, typically on uh, much less serious topics, but certainly appreciate them on this one. We'll have to do this this whole radio thing again uh, at some point uh, later this summer. Appreciate your time this morning, and uh, we will certainly talk soon, my friend. All right, anytime, Craig. Harper's charging the mound, and he throws the helmet, and now there's a fist fight. Harper's landed a couple of blows, and now the dugouts have emptied. They've been separated. Strickland was knocked down. Harper was still on his feet, and Harper had no doubt that Strickland threw at him. show Sunday mornings here on the fan that was Monday night on the fan of course we are your home for Nationals baseball Bryce Harper got hit it was baloney and he had enough Uh, to talk about that and much more we go now to 
Uh, actually, I don't know where Adnan is right now. Uh, Adnan Virk, uh, he's he's going to be the guest here uh, on the Hoffman Show uh, from ESPN, host of Baseball Tonight. Also been doing some play-by-play for them. Uh, Adnan, are you in Connecticut or are you off to call a game? Where are you? I am in Connecticut, back home in uh, lovely West Hartford. Craig, how are you? Good to talk to you again. Yeah, man. Good to talk to you. It's been way, way too long. Um, when you saw, let's start with the Bryce Harper incident and then maybe go like kind of macro looking at, at that. When you saw Bryce Harper get hit and react the way he did on Monday night, uh, what was your kind of initial reactions thought? And has that changed uh, throughout the week as you had some time to reflect on it and talk about it with, with the former players that you work with who, who lived the game? Uh, no, it hasn't changed a ton. I mean, my first thought was good for him. Cause, I mean, it was, I thought it was, like you said, baloney and the fact that Strickland's carrying a grudge from two and a half years ago. I mean, get over it. Uh, you know, I understand the unwritten rules of the game, and sometimes guys uh, want to get even for whatever reason. But honestly, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, the guy took you deep, and one of them, I think he was just kind of looking to see if the ball was gone. The other time, maybe he admired his home run a little bit. But if you don't like it, then don't give up the home run. Uh, for Hunter Strickland to hold the grudge that much longer against Bryce Harper to be was ridiculous and uh, I was a good for Bryce for sticking up for himself because you know if he doesn't charge the mail maybe it happens again he's you know I'm tired of this now he did narrowly avert disaster because Samarja and Morris were coming for him and the fact that they collided probably saved like a broken jaw for Bryce Harper because he got in one punch on Strickland and Strickland got in one on him but it could have been a lot worse for him um, but yeah my opinion has not changed because a lot of the four players that I work with like Aaron Boone and Eddie Perez agreed with us that um, those of us who have not played the game that thought this was ridiculous that we understand there's unwritten rules but sometimes it's going too far. Um, Booney said to me, listen, I do think that, listen, if a guy gets hit all the time, there is a purpose to hitting the other team's best player. If you got hit, if you're in the Nationals and Bryce Harper got hit seven times in a three-game series, then yes, you should throw at Buster Posey at some point. Not headhunting, but throw inside or drill him on the thigh if there's a point to that to keeping a guy off the plate. But in this instance, I didn't hear any former players who were defending Strickland. Everyone seemed to be on team Bryce Harper. And the other part of it was Buster Posey. Uh, the only thing that has changed for me is initially, I was like, what's wrong with him? Why isn't he, why isn't he helping Strickland and grabbing Harper, but the more it's going to come out, and we, we can't say with certainty, but the speculation is that Strickland told Buster Posey, hey, listen, I'm going to drill him, so don't grab him. I want a piece of him. So now it makes a little more sense why Buster Posey was so targeted. That is interesting. I I like the explanation better that Buster Posey was thinking, you're an idiot. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You're on your own, dude. Uh, but if that was the case, then then I'm fine. Buster can be a good teammate. I, I like to think that Buster Posey was just like, this is your problem. Uh, but whatever. Um, Adnan Burke from ESPN is with me. To me, though, what is, what is the bigger issue here is that baseball players and whoever else uh, around the game will tell you that baseball players need the ability to police themselves and that hitting other players with baseballs is the way in which they do that. My problem with that theory is that there are no laws, that there is so little agreement on what is offensive and what is a proper retaliation that the league needs to step in here and go, we're going to suspend you for 50 games if you hit another, if you hit someone, because this is insane and, and someone's going to get seriously hurt uh, either by a baseball or in one of these fights, and that's bad for us. Would, would you be supportive of the league stepping up in that somewhat extreme way in a way that is so punitive that it, it is preventative? I don't know. I mean, I, I do think, like, once Booney explained to me, he goes, listen, if your guys are getting hit all the time, there's a reason to hit the other team back. I did thought that made sense. And uh, I did disagree with Bryce Harper saying baseball is a weapon. The more I thought about it, I'm like, you know, no one's died from hitting from hit by a ball since 1920 when they did not have batting helmets. So maybe weapon is a little bit harsh. I think of a weapon, I think of a machete, not a baseball. Um, so I don't know if I'd go to that extent, Craig, to be honest with you. I, I hear what you're saying. I, I do think that um, it's excessive, and I don't care for these unwritten rules. That I, you know, I feel like uh, Phil Hartman, an unfrozen caveman lawyer, that old SNL sketch where he's like, you know, your ways confuse me. That's how I often feel about the unwritten rules. But you know what? I don't necessarily think this is bad for the game because this happened last week, and we're still talking about it. And as you know, having worked at ESPN, it's tough to get baseball on a major level unless it's you know the home run derby or the playoffs or Pujols hitting 600. And on every ESPN show, on SportsCenter, on the radio show, it was me and Rosillo, on Mike and Mike, we've been talking about this. So I think Rod Manfred in his head saying, yeah, yeah, we don't like this. But privately, he may be thinking, you know what? This does publicize the game. Our star players involved in Bryce Harper. Um, any attention is warranted. So you know what? It's not the worst thing in the world to have a brawl like this if nobody gets hurt. Well, that's the other fun part. And while you might not think of a baseball as a weapon, I mean, you hear the, the pitch hit Harper, and it sounds like a home run ball. 
And he does ha- <laughs> thank thank God in a way that Bryce missed with the helmet. Um, and they also the I, I'm waiting for the day when a guy goes out there with the bat. And that is certainly a weapon. And, and I guess the counter argument would be, wouldn't it be better if we could talk about the game? Uh, or is it just like, hey, at this point, any attention is good attention? I think so, man. I, I think I'm kind of resigned to that because I'm with you. Listen, I'd like to talk about um, the fact the Rockies have had a great start to the season. And Ken Irvin, Santana, and the Twins keep it up in the Central. And how about Paul Goldschmidt, what he's doing with the Diamondbacks offense? But that doesn't seem to resonate uh, with a national sports audience, at least at ESPN, at least with uh, the way it's presently constructed. So I'm just happy to talk about baseball in any vein I can, beyond, of course, my responsibilities on baseball tonight or like calling a game, as you mentioned. So, yeah, listen, I'm with you, man. I wish we were talking about the positive things, but if this is all it's going to be, then I'll, I'll take whatever baseball we can talk about. All right, let's talk about the game then. Ad Ann Burke of ESPN with me, Craig Hoffman, here on The Fan. The Nationals are in a really weird spot because it is now, at least we're now in June, but since early May, like, they've kind of already won the East. And I know that's probably a a heart and throat thing for me to say for a lot of Nats fans because disappointment has found its way into this town's sporting culture in in ways that have been unseen for years. But where where the rest of the East is and where the Nationals are uh, from both in the standings and from a talent standpoint, it seems like the Nationals are going to be able to cruise on into September and October. What, what do they need to do to stay sharp? And like, how how are, are you assessing the Nationals as we go throughout the summer to to try to see, kind of see where they are in the power rankings, knowing their competition uh, is not up to their their level? So I agree with everything you say. I think they're going to run away with that division. There really is no other contender in the NL East, uh, and they may run away with it in the league. I mean, the Cubs right now are a 500 team. Like I said, the D-backs and Rockies have been good stories, but I don't know about the pitching depth of those teams. Uh, the Dodgers, I think, are great. Now they figured it out. So they end up winning the West. But I do think the Rockies make the playoffs. One other team from the Central makes it. Maybe the Cards put it together a little bit, get 85 wins. But other than that, Washington's clearly the best team. Um, I think the biggest thing is don't put Steve Strasburg in an innings limit. Like the last time a few years ago, Washington was the best team in the National League and it kind of shot themselves in the foot. Guard against overconfidence. Uh, pray for no injuries. Pray that Bryce Harper does not, like you said, next time take a bat to the mound or actually throw that helmet and get tossed for a month. I uh, hope that Ryan Zimmerman keeps it going. Um, you know, all those types of things. Uh, the only thing that can derail them is, like I said, a major injury to like a Scherzer um, or Strasburg or one of those guys. Otherwise, I mean, they're loaded top to bottom, uh, whether it's youth with players like Trey Turner or veterans like Worth and Zimmerman. So I don't see Washington having a serious challenge. And in fact, in the American League, I don't see Houston having a major challenge. So uh, we got plenty of baseball left to go. But I would, um, I'm not a betting man, but if somebody offered me a few bucks for Houston, Washington, I'd like those odds. Uh, every single DC sports fan would tell you to run away as fast as as fast <laughs> as you could. What happened with the Capitals? I mean, geez, listen, I hate the Penguins so much, Hoffman, because I am a Flyers fan. Yes. So every round, by the way, of the NHL on ESPN.com, I'm one of the hockey experts. I just kept picking against the Penguins, and God, your Capitals frustrate me so much. It's not that I'm cheering for the Capitals; I just despise the Penguins. What's going on there? Come on. Yeah, well, that's that's an interesting thing, and I do want to get your kind of take on this. Um, Adnan, a proud Canadian, so he's certified to talk about hockey uh, for sure. Uh, when you look at this Capitals team and, and what happened to them, I mean, it's so familiar here, so there's, there's almost a numbness to it uh, amidst the frustration. But when you look at them going forward, like, do you think that they are back in position to try to make a run next year, or do you feel like there was some sense of finality this year that was different than some of the other years where there has been similar disappointment? No, I still think they're loaded. That's the problem. Like, I look at that team, and I said, no, they still got plenty of talent. Like, Ovechkin's still in the prime of his career, and Backstrom. And, and in the past, I always looked at goalies, right? You always want to put it on a goalie. But I'm like, no, Brady Holmes is a really good goalie. Like, he had a couple of games a little bit suspect and some soft goals. But overall, I, I feel pretty comfortable riding with him. Like, who else do you really feel confident in, aside from a Carey Price or Matt Murray? I mean, there's there's not many goalies of that upper echelon. I know people love to blame the coach. Like, it's Barry Trotz's fault always. But I don't understand. Like, Trotz, for years... Um, had good teams, was known for, for doing more with less, and then he comes to the Capitals where he has a lot of talent and hasn't been able to get to the next level. But I don't know, man. That, that's what I think is so frustrating, and that's why I get the fans' um, despair because you say, all right, I understand if there was a serious, legitimate hole, like if our defense was really porous or we just weren't able to score at the right time or the power play or something like that. But that, that's my issue. That's why I can understand why the Caps get so frustrated because you go, no, on paper, everything's solved here. It's just we just can't beat the Penguins and can't get packed the second round of the playoffs. Like, I just want to see Ovechkin in the conference finals once. I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon. 
Yeah, it's it's so frustrating. I'm guessing you picked the Predators uh, in in on your picks online. I, that's correct. Because of my disdain for, uh, for the Penguins, <laughs> I picked the Preds in seven, and you know, I've got all these Penguins fans chirping me. The only uh, moment of acclaim I did receive is again. I hate the Rangers too, being a Flyers fan. So I picked the Sens to beat the Rangers, which I was the only one of twelve experts to be correct. So Steve Levy did note that I was right on that, and people are loving me in Ottawa, as you mentioned. A native Canadian, I actually grew up in Kingston, which is about an hour and a half from Ottawa. So I will never need to buy another drink in the Ottawa region, which is the only good news here. But the Penguins back to back, like that, just I can't tell you how despondent that makes me, Craig, as somebody who just dislikes the Penguins with every fiber of my being. Ladies and gentlemen, unbiased journalist Adnan Verk with us here on the fan. <laughs> you can do it when you don't cover the sport, right? Like if right. I hosted NHL tonight, I couldn't say these things. Like on with, with baseball tonight, now I can't really smash a team, but with hockey, I'm still able to do it. So yeah. I take that opportunity. Enjoy your freedom, sir. Uh, I appreciate your time this morning. Uh, it has been way too long since we do this. Let's do it again as we go throughout the summer, uh, and we'll try to talk about the games instead of grown men playing like children. Uh, I'm all up for it. Thanks, Craig. Take care, man. That'll do for this week's show. Appreciate Adnan, Lorenzo, and Jerry for joining me on the show. Of course, if you missed last week's Best Of, there were two parts. Plenty of it still relevant on the NBA Finals. If you want to check out Howard Beck's thoughts or Tim Bontem's thoughts or Damon Amendola's thoughts, just go up in the podcast feed. Also, some good stuff from Brian Curtis on Frank DeFord, an interview I reran actually on the Sunday show as well. Best Of uh, podcast here, the Train With The Best podcast is also up with a brand new episode that was out yesterday. Depending on when you listen to this, we launched it on Saturday night. I'll have some more coming up on that this week, too, including Will Compton, Redskins linebacker, as our guest. Subscribe, rate, review. Always appreciate those of you who do. Follow on Twitter, at Craig Hoffman. On Instagram, at Craig underscore Hoffman. That is all. I'm done talking now. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.